0: let's read a passage from john chapter 4 sir the woman said i can see that you are a prophet our fathers worshiped on this mountain but you jews claim that the place where we must worship is in jerusalem jesus declared believe me woman a time is coming when you will worship the father neither on this mountain nor in jerusalem you Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. Father, I thank you for the the life and the power that are in your Word. I thank you for the life and the power that are in your people. I pray that you would illuminate this place. I pray, Lord God, that uh, we would receive revelation, fresh revelation for our daily lives, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Worship is one of those words that... uh, it's a very common part of the Christian lexicon I mean every Christian knows this word and yet knowing a word and knowing what it means are two different things uh, a few weeks ago at the gate I asked the guys uh, to define worship actually I told them I asked them to give me the first word that came to their minds after uh, after I said the word worship but uh, you know what I'm what I'm saying and um, you know and you would expect that if you were going to have a group of people who knew what this was all about, it'd be the guys who'd get up and come to a 6.30 meeting on Tuesday morning. I mean, that's, a, that's pretty hardcore. Uh, and they did, they, did, they did a pretty good job. But I came to understand, came to uh, realize, and I think this would be pretty much true across the board, that while every Christian would know the word worship, were, they, were you to come up to them with the microphone and say, okay, sir, madam, you have 30 seconds. Define the word worship. Most of that definition would uh, consist of... Uh, 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 uh. So, worship. What's the definition? Uh, uh. <laughs> Dictionary.com says this. Reverent honor and homage paid to God, a, or a sacred personage, or to any object regarded as sacred, formal, or uh, ceremonious rendering of such honor and homage. Adoring reverence or regard, the object of adoring reverence or, or regard. I hate it when people are reading definitions off to me from, the, from, from anywhere, actually. But I'm going to continue to do it to you because I've got some place that I'm going. Thefreedictionary.com says, The reverent love and devotion accorded a deity, an idol, or a sacred object. The ceremonies, prayers, or other religious forms by which this love is expressed. Ardent devotion, adoration, and uh, the fount of all knowledge, Wikipedia. Worship is an act of religious Devotion usually directed toward a deity. The word is derived from the Old English, worth spice, meaning worthiness or worthship. Worth to give at its simplest worth to something. Uh, note the connections here. First of all, all three of these do expand beyond just deity and God, to mention a, an object or something. And I, and I think we're all aware that idolatry does not require a little statue to exist, or even a big statue to exist. That idolatry can, be, um, can involve a, a great number of, of different things. So I'm not really going to go there uh, in this series. I, Barbie's got one of the sermons, and Wayne has one. I don't think either of them will go there. But uh, I've, always, uh, I've always found that going for something positive yields better results than uh, trying to avoid the negative quite frankly. So rather than saying, hey, let me tell you what idolatry really is, you know, it's this and it's that and, you know, and it's, it's, it can be cars and sports and, and movies and money and houses and all this stuff, so stay away from that. Uh, that, doesn't, that doesn't really help people too much. The positive thing going, this is what true worship is, pursue it. When we do that, then these other things start to fall away. They, they begin to, to lose their grip on us, and fall by the wayside so I'm not really going to go there but look at the other connections reverence sacred ceremony religious and these are words that that spring to mind when we consider worship and they tend to create a paradigm designed to isolate and contain our relationship to God if God can be confined to the sacred religious ceremony to, uh, to that holy space type of attitude to that portion of our lives then that leaves a huge portion of our lives that is now fair game for any God out there to come and try and, and usurp the Lord's position is. Therefore our general concepts about worship are severely lacking and even dangerous to our spiritual health. And so what I would like for you to do, and one of the things that I want to try and do today is I'd like to take those concepts and just basically explode them. I mean, I love sacred space. I love beautiful places. Um, Margaret and I have gone to Europe a few times, and I love the cathedrals. Oh, my goodness. (sighs) Yes. Just some breathtakingly beautiful places, and I walk in them, and I, and, and I, I just feel the devotion of generations of believers to to build this thing. Truth of the matter is, though, they're they're relics in the middle of a culture that's totally turned away from God. So the the answer, the key, isn't special holy places as much as I love them, and and it's great to have them. That's That's not what the key to true worship is. How important is worship? Well, the first two commands directly involve worship. I mean, 20% of the, of the, of the Ten Commandments, and not just any 10, 20%, I mean the first two, the one from which they all spring, you shall have no other gods before me. That's absolutely about worship. You shall make no graven images to worship, to bow down to. Not in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. And he's not jealous because he's threatened by them. It's not a matter of, oh my goodness, people may get a better deal from this God over here. There, there are no good deals out there other than the Lord God. You know. But he's jealous because he knows what those gods will do to you, to your life. And he's jealous for you. He desires you. Chronicles, uh, how many of you have read Chronicles? Oh my goodness, what a church. Yeah. Uh, And for those of you who haven't read Chronicles, it's it's an interesting experience, especially the first 11 chapters, all those and, and and names that you can't pronounce or anything like that. But Chronicles is, uh, let me tell you what Chronicles is. Chronicles is different. It, it essentially covers uh, the same territory that 1 and 2 Samuel and First and 2 Kings covers. But it covers it in a different way. 1 and 2 Samuel and 1 and 2 Kings are the newspaper accounts of the day. Basically, this is what, let me tell you about this battle. Let me tell you what's going on politically. This is, this is what happened on the hill today. That, that's basically what those four books are about. Chronicles is God's perspective on it. And so Chronicles focuses on things that are very different the battles and and all that stuff, uh, a little bit, you know, here and there. What Chronicles really finds important, though, is worship. And so in Chronicles, David, the psalmist, the guy who brought the the ark back to, uh, to Jerusalem and danced before the Lord with all of his might, he gets 18 chapters. And most of those chapters are not about, you know, David won this battle and David defeated this guy. You don't even, uh, you know, if Chronicles were all we had, we'd never even know about Goliath. Chronicles is about David instituting worship and David uh, setting up worship in the temple and organizing it and, and, and bringing in singers and, bringing, and doing all of these things and making uh, the plans for Solomon to build the temple. And Solomon was the guy who, he get, he's the second biggest character he gets nine chapters and it's not the same as in kings because over in second kings you read about solomon and you read about i mean you can read about solomon and just go off daydreaming on oh, wow all that money all that stuff boy all those revenues that he had coming in all that fame all that honor uh, and in chronicles you just get a little bit of that in Chronicles, it's about he built a temple. And this, these are the things that were put in there. And this was his prayer of dedication that he gave at the temple. And this is the Lord's answer to his prayer of dedication. It's all, it's all about worship. The other king that gets quite a few chapters is Hezekiah. He gets, he gets five chapters. And Hezekiah was the king who, who reestablished worship. Worship had, uh, the temple had essentially been closed down, been shut. It had been defiled. Hezekiah Uh, reopen it had it cleaned back up turned the people's hearts back to the Lord and then there's Saul Saul was the first king of Israel and Saul who gets quite a few chapters in Samuel uh, gets a half a chapter here see Saul worshiped on occasion and he saw worship as a man-driven ritual and not something from the lord uh, there are really only two occasions that we see Saul entering into worship one of them was uh on the day that Samuel told him that he was going to be king and he gave him some signs to look for and a couple of those signs were were pretty remarkable like you're going to meet three guys and they're going to be carrying this this and that and one of them going to offer you this and and things like that and so by the time he'd gotten to the end of the day Those first two signs had come to pass and the third sign was uh, you're going to meet a group of prophets and when you do the spirit of the Lord is going to come upon you and you're going to prophesy with them and he did. Uh, I'm sure he was good and ready by the time they they came down the pike. The other time the only other time that we see Saul worshiping uh, David had run away from Saul because Saul was trying to kill him and David was with was with Samuel and uh, Saul found out where they were they were in a place called Nioth and he sent soldiers to go and kill David but every time he had sent soldiers to go and kill David the Spirit of the Lord would come upon them and they'd start prophesying and forget about killing David and so Saul finally went well I'll go kill him and when Saul got there the Spirit of the Lord came upon Saul and he started prophesying those are the only two times that we see he, he only worshipped on special occasions I find that significant and there is one other time that he was kind of worshiping I guess you could say because he offered a sacrifice but he wasn't really worshiping and he lost his kingdom over it the first encounter that he would had with the Philistines and the Philistines were at Michmash and they were putting uh, their army was getting stronger and stronger and Saul was waiting for Samuel to come and offer the sacrifice because that was the way that the Lord had instituted it kings weren't given the right to offer sacrifices the priests did that according to Moses but Samuel didn't get there soon enough in Saul's mind in Saul's opinion the Lord isn't slow in keeping his promises by the way as some understand slowness he's always on time but sometimes it's not our time and so Samuel didn't get there in time and Saul's army was beginning to scatter because they were they were getting afraid of how strong the Philistines were coming and Saul finally said, "Hey, Samuel's not here. Bring me that sacrifice. I'll offer it." He offered the sacrifice. And who was the first person to show up? Of course, Samuel. Comes says, "What have you done?" Saul says, "Well, I the Philistines were getting stronger and and I, and I saw that my army was scattering and I hadn't sought the Lord's favor, so I, I, I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering, and that's what I've done. And Samuel says, You've acted foolishly. You have not kept the Lord's command. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time, but now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him leader of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. See, what he did was the same thing as the sin of Cain. What he did was he thought worship was about what I think it's about, not what God says it's about. He he thought worship was open to his own interpretation. Cain knew that, okay, blood sacrifice, that's what worship is. But you know what? I think this would be a whole lot better. And and Saul was going, you know, I I know that the priests are supposed to do it, but I've got a better idea. We don't have a priest right now, and and I'll I'll just do it because I can make up my own rules. It cost him his kingdom. It cost him his dynasty. And that's interesting as well. Because you see, without worship, you have nothing to pass on to the next generation. When I was growing up in uh, my parents' household, I used to, and I've shared this a couple of times, I, I was frustrated with being a preacher's kid. I mean, you know, I'd often think, why doesn't my dad have a real job? Something he can pass on to me you know something you know why he wanted to have a good factory job somewhere you know they make good money I, he could get me he can get me on if he was part of the union or something and uh you know obviously as I as I've gotten older <laughs> I, I guess in some ways he he sort of did pass a job on to me but uh, actually you can't do that that's got to be the Lord's calling but uh but as I've gotten older I've discovered that What they passed on to me, what got passed on to me in terms of worship, I mean, regardless of what kind of job I ended up doing, wow. You know, whereas a lot of people grow up in a home where they hear a lot of fussing and fighting, foul language and and, and all of this, concerns about everything but God. I grew up in a home with crazy people. I mean they just go they just be going through the house. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you. What? What did he do? <laughs> well, he's here. Oh, I love you, Lord. Okay. Yeah, and as a kid, I just I thought that was at first I thought that was weird, and, and actually I'd have to say that there were times even later on when I thought that was weird. But also, it just kind of became normal. That's what you do. That's what happens. It's what you say. Wow. What a a thing to pass on. I'm going to say something that's probably going to upset some people. In fact, I've already had somebody from the first service pray over me. (laughs) (laughs) But I've got to say it anyway. Uh, Because so often I run into, in this culture that we have, so often I, I, I've, I've run into situations where people have kind of gone, well, you know, you won't see me for a while, or I won't be here for a while. You know, I just love to see my kids play ball so much. Just love to see, the, the, you know, my, my kids involved in dance, my kids involved in 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 drama, my kids involved in this, my kids involved in that. You know, and we have to have to travel for some. Oh, it was such an honor. They they got they got appointed to this this traveling team, we'll be gone for the next 18 Sundays, but, you know, we'll be, we'll be back, and, okay, I love my kids so much that I feel like I really need to cut God out of their lives for six months, I mean, that's, yeah, like I say, it's, it's sad, and, I, and I'm not trying to hammer anybody. I, look, when I played Little League ball, we only had 10 games, and we didn't get to make up the ones that got rained out, and that stunk. Because that's not enough. But let me tell you what else stinks. 60 games. Find some balance in your life. Find some balance. If you don't have, if you don't have a life of worship to model and pass on to your kids you don't have anything to pass on to them your will may say you've got some stuff but it's not worth anything without that foundation of worship and faithfulness that's seen in their lives oh just love fishing just love golf and i love my kids love to spend time we love to spend time that that way together hey what about bring them sit them down beside you and let them see you doing this that that that'll work when we were margaret and i uh back on our 25th anniversary 2001 we uh we we got to go to france (laughs) it was cheaper than going to california but anyway we got to go to france and and we went to notre dame and uh and you know and that's a catholic church and so we went into the church on that sunday morning and I was kind of amazed because I'm thinking France, you know, there might be 50, 50 people here in this room that'll hold 3,000. There were 3,000 in this room that would hold 3,000. And there was this couple, I mean, there was this young family sitting on the front row right in front of us. I'll never forget. I mean, the guy had, had two uh, boys, probably seven or eight years old or something like that, and his, and, his, uh, and his wife, and I didn't understand what anything was being said. All these people were speaking in tongues. None of them, <laughs> none of them were speaking in English. And, uh, but apparently they knelt down at some times and stood up at some times and did these things. And I mean, these, this guy, I mean, if he'd been my dad, I'd have gone, yes, sir. Cause I mean, when it kept time to kneel down <coughs> and when it came time to stand up, he, you know, he'd stand up and he's, he and I'm going, wow, what these kids are getting to see yeah. their dad do. Hmm. Just saying. Jesus said, anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Just saying. Saul, later on, as he saw the the kingdom slipping out of his hands, and going to David, blamed everybody but himself. Blamed Jonathan. Blamed, blamed Michael, who's who actually a, a woman, David's, David's wife. Blamed uh, the priest at Nod. Blamed Samuel. Blamed everybody. He's the reason. Because he did not worship the Lord in the right way. Your dynasty will not endure. Later on, God sent Saul to destroy the Amalekites, and i got to hurry here. Uh, but Saul didn't carry out the instructions. It's a piece of cake. The Amalekites were uh, you know, were a pushover, uh, and he was supposed to completely destroy everything that had to do with them, and, uh, but he didn't. He saved the best parts of, of the cattle and the sheep and, and allowed the king to live. And, and uh, Samuel, once again, Samuel came, <laughs> and Saul went out to meet him. You know, he said, hey, I've done everything that you told me to do. Everything that the Lord sent me to do, we won the victory, it's just really great. And, and, and Samuel goes, uh, well, what, what are these cattle that I hear? What, what are these sheep that I hear? You know, what, what's going on here? Oh, we saved the best to sacrifice to the Lord your God. And Here's what Samuel said. Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the voice of the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice. The heat is better than the fat of rams, for rebellion is like the sin of divination and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, the Lord has rejected you as king. Now here's the thing, without obedience, which is where true worship begins, we're unfit and incapable, incapable of fulfilling a calling from God. Doesn't matter how talented you are, doesn't matter how skillful you are, it doesn't matter how much experience you've got. It doesn't, it doesn't matter how intelligent you are. It all takes a back seat to obedience. You know, if, if somebody can have a, a 50 point higher IQ than you and they can have 50 more pounds of muscle than you got and they can do the, the 40 in two minutes faster than you can do it, you know, and, but they still are not as qualified if you're obedient and they're not. God can't use them can only use the, flesh can only give birth to flesh. Spirit gives birth to spirit. What is the biblical definition of worship? Let's jump into this real quick. To obey is better than sacrifice. The woman at the well, we read this passage. She had been taught that worship was about a particular place and about a particular method. Our forefathers said this is how you worship. But you Jews say you're supposed to worship over here and you, you do some, some different things. Now, which one is it? I mean, I, I've been waiting all my life to, to find a prophet and now i got one who's genuine. Reveal this to me. And Jesus, uh, Jesus, what Jesus revealed to her was neither. It's neither this mountain nor Jerusalem. It's not about the place not about where you are believe me woman a time is coming and has now come When you will worship the father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem you'll worship him in spirit and in truth because that's what he's looking for you see and here's a concept that many of you know but maybe some of you don't we take the holy place with us it is where we are 1 Peter 2, 5, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. see, David wanted to build a temple for the Lord. Nathan, the prophet, came to him to tell him, no, you're not the one who's supposed to do that. Your son will do that. Well, he thought it was Solomon, and to a certain degree, I mean, Solomon did build a temple, but Solomon realized that the temple that he had built was inadequate. He said, this house that I've built, how can it contain you? You fill the entire universe. Uh, this, this is just a house. It, it can't even start to contain you. See, the, the real son of David who was going to build the temple was Jesus Christ. And he built a temple that can contain God. A living temple. And that's why he says over in John chapter 14 if you love me, you will obey my commands, and my Father and I will come, and we will make our home in you. Where he is is the holy place. See, in that in that in that house that Solomon built there was there was a holy place but there was there was a place where God himself actually dwelt and that was the holy of holies where he is is the holy of holies this word holy is another word that a lot all Christians know very few can define holy simply means something that uniquely belongs to God in a special way that's all that's what it means you can't make anything holy but everything he claims as holy is holy. So the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. but the holy city is the one where He said, "This is where my name will dwell. this is where I will be worshipped forever. I choose this place." The Bible is, is the holy Bible because it's uniquely His, unlike any other book. And you, you are holy. If, if you have given your life to Jesus Christ, he has accepted you and he has, he has made you holy in a special way. And so anywhere you go, the holy, place, the holy of holies is there. Everywhere that, it, everywhere that it may be. And the only issue is, are we going to worship him or not? Wherever we go. And what are these spiritual sacrifices It says we're we're a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to god through jesus christ what is a spiritual sacrifice well the sacrifice of praise is one of them but we're not going there today romans 12 1 therefore i urge you brothers in view of god's mercy to offer your bodies as living sacrifices holy and pleasing to god this is your spiritual act of Worship. This is what worship is. Living sacrifices. I, so I think it's probably saying anywhere your body is and you're living. is where this is supposed to be. Now, the, the, um, the Message Bible goes totally amplified Bible on this. Puts a lot more words into it, but I think it, I think it's, it, it clarifies it even more. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you, because it's the only way you can do it. Take your everyday, ordinary life. You're sleeping, eating, going to work, going to school, going fishing, playing golf, going shopping, driving in the car, walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is not, it's the best thing you can do for him, it's actually the only thing you can do for him. Uh it jesse who said this or was it brad i don't know it was it was one of the saints uh who uh and i don't even remember which service but one of them was saying you know we don't you know we're not we don't work for god god's working in us i think it was jesse who said that yeah the only thing you can do is embrace what he's doing in your life sacrifice is the heart of worship but obedience is the true heart of sacrifice Otherwise, we're just doing what we want to do. See, when, when Saul offered that sacrifice, when Saul offered that sacrifice before Samuel got there, can I go, well, I, you know, what's wrong with that? I mean, it's same altar, same fire, same, same animal, same wood. What, what's the problem there? The problem is Saul was just doing what he wanted to do. And oftentimes, God's got a plan for our life, but we got a plan for our life as well. And our plan for our life just seems to be a little bit better than God's plan for our life. And, and, and I know that we, you know, I'm not talking macro here. I'm talking micro. God's got a plan not just for your life. He's got a plan for this afternoon and tomorrow morning. And oftentimes we've got a plan for this afternoon and tomorrow morning and they may not, they may not mesh up. And when they don't mesh up and ours wins, we're just doing what we want to do. When they don't mesh up and his wins, we're worshiping. Whether it involves this or a song or not, it's all about obedience. That's what, that is what worship is. Holy space is is sacred and sacred space is a good thing i mean i like i said i i I love to go into those cathedrals and there are places here that are just just breathtaking and and yes i feel closer to god and all that but the, the truth of the matter is i'm rarely there i'm rarely there most of my life is not spent on this platform most of my life believe it or not even is not spent in this building. Most most of my life is spent out there somewhere. And we tend to we tend to think we tend to look at the we tend to look at the heroes. You see, this isn't just extraordinary acts. It, we, we try to extract the extraordinary from the ordinary. This isn't about extraordinary acts and extraordinary places and those who've gone on the mission field and those who who done something great. It's great to do something great, but uh, How would we know it if we saw it? Because we can't see people's hearts. Worship is about getting up in the morning and going to work. The guy who does that five days a week, the woman who does that five, six days a week, that's an act of, it can be, it should be an act of worship. Worship is... You know, as a, as a single mom who's, who's working two or three minimum wage jobs because you can work 10 minimum wage jobs and you still don't have enough money to live on. But to, to try and keep body and soul together, you know, for her kids, who she knows are going to have all these other attractions pulling on them and all she can do is just work and love them and pray. That's worship. That's an act of worship. So whether you're getting up and and going to work at the Capitol or you're getting up and you're going to work at McDonald's, you know, if you're you're getting up and going to work at McDonald's as an act of worship unto God, that's more important, that's more significant in the sight of heaven than the guy who's getting up and going to work at the Capitol as an act of ego. Or wherever it may happen to be. How would we know something great if we saw it? Some of you have heard me share this story, but it's so good. I'll I'll share it until you fire me. About about 15 years ago, it might have even been 20 years ago, uh, I went to visit my my old uh, drama director at college, Mrs. Tucker, Dorothy Tucker, and uh, went to see her, and she wasn't home, uh, but her husband was, uh, Clay Tucker, Dr. Tucker. In fact, he was the only one at home, and we sat around, we got to talking, and somehow or another, the subject of high school came up, and he was, he was saying, you know, I had a really unusual thing happen to me here uh, a couple of months ago. We had, uh, I graduated from Pulaski High School, and we had our, our 60th high school reunion, class reunion, and that looked like a big number to me at that time. Now it's beginning to look pretty reasonable. <laughs> uh but it's not only was it their 60th it was also their first one that they'd ever had and uh and he said man I didn't want to go to that thing so they were only like 17 or 18 in their graduating class and I think they were all still alive he said I didn't want to go to that thing and he said I got there and sure enough walked into a room full of strangers didn't didn't know any I mean been 60 years since he had seen any of these people and uh, he said, we had, we had dinner, and things were going along pretty well. And I thought, maybe we're, maybe maybe we're going to get out of here. Maybe this is going to be okay. And then the thing that I dreaded the most happened. We got to eating, and somebody said, hey, let's just go around the room, and everybody share what's been going on in their lives for the last 60 years. And he said, oh, no. Well, it, it happened. And he uh, now he he had some stuff to share i mean pulaski high school come on now that's almost like coming from millersville you know but uh after he graduated from pulaski he also graduated from uh annapolis um, and then he went on to become a submarine commander in world war ii and then he went on to become the, the dean of arts and sciences at mtsu pretty good re- i'm impressed you know, pretty pretty good resume Uh, got a building named after him uh, after he and his wife there on on campus and he said that it was amazing he said every you know almost everybody in the room had these incredible resumes that that they had gone these things they had gone on to accomplish it was just and then they got to the last woman and she said well I I haven't really done anything I've never I've never left Pulaski I just was raised here and uh, uh, got married, stayed here, had nine kids, and then went on to mention that seven of those nine had their had their PhDs. Uh, I think four of them were medical doctors and uh had their MDs. Two of them were university presidents. And he said, by the time she got through time, I said, there wasn't a dry eye and in, in the and I, I've just never done anything. I've never gone anywhere. How do we know what's great? How, how do we know? There are going to be people in heaven. Whew. You know, we're going to get there and go, wow. You know, is that is that Billy Graham? Yeah. No, that's Mary Jones. Who? I mean high and lifted up and exalted, wow. You see, God, I mean, He let let them write 1 and 2 Kings, but He wrote 1 and 2 Chronicles. He looks at things in a very different way from the way that we look at things. One last thing, let me end with this. How does worship impact our lives? You become like what you worship. You worship money, you become green and wrinkly. (laughs) You worship the Lord. Romans 8, 29. For those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of His Son, so that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. 1 John 3, 2. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, but we shall see him as he is. We're going to be, we are being transformed as we, we're being transformed to be like Jesus. I mean, we're talking about the, the totally, perfectly obedient son, the one who, who raised the dead and walked on water, and that, that's who we're being transformed to be like how does this happen well it doesn't happen by magic it's not bibbidi-bobbidi-boo i went to the i went to the i went to the conference and now i'm like jesus we had a great service and boy did you see the jesus on me it's not that not seo christ it's what eugene peterson calls long obedience in the same direction Day by day by day by day. And it's what the Bible calls worship. Would you stand with me? I was just going to say I, I love you guys and I guess you probably know by now that if your kid made the traveling team and you're not going to be here for the next 18 weeks to just not tell me about it I, I wonder where you've been <laughs> well those are going to pray for people come forward at this time if you're here and you need you need something you need Physical touch, financial, emotional, you got a relationship in tatters. You got, especially if your relationship with God is in tatters. Come and be prayed for. And you know, you may go, Well, I I, I, I went before and got prayed for about this. Okay. Come again. Come again. He cares. He cares. Jesus said, Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open until you can, you can keep. Keep on, and and really, while well, in the English it just says seek and knock. Literally in the Greek it says keep on knocking, keep on coming, keep on seeking. If you don't have a relationship with God, Jesus turned an altar into a beautiful thing so that you could have a relationship with God. If you need, if you if you need to know Christ, come. We'd like to introduce you to Him. If you, whatever you need, come. Let us pray for you. If you don't need anything, worship with us for a few moments as we wait on those who do.
1: I'll soar with you above the storm. Father, you are king over the cloud. I will be still, know you
0: are God. I've gotta just got to share an image with you because some of you I know are going through some tough stuff. I just know that. We've got a dog. Peanut he's he's 16 pounds he's about this tall he's beautiful he's all man dog when it thunders he's a scared little puppy and when it thunders he wants he wants in the house he normally wants outside of the house so he can chase hawks and rabbits and deers and bear and anything else that he finds but when it thunders he wants in the house and when he gets in the house, he goes and he runs under the, uh, the sideboard and lays on the floor and looks. He's with the people, he's under the sideboard, he's safe. If it's thundering in your life, when it thunders in your life, there's only one, there's only one safe place of refuge. Don't be proud, go there. Go there. God is a refuge. He is an ever-present help in times of trouble. Just felt like somebody needed to hear that. I will be still. When the, when the oceans rise When
1: the oceans rise And thunders roar I will soar with
0: father of our lord and savior jesus christ who sent his son into the world to give life meaning so that we might have life and have it to the full may he give you the grace to live a life of obedience to live a life worth passing on to those around you through jesus christ our lord